Now, we're working our way towards the Beatitudes. That's going to be the major part of our teaching plan for this coming term. Last week, we were looking at the kingdom of God. Today, we're looking very much at the call of those first disciples, which comes immediately before, pretty well, uh, that teaching in Matthew 5. Morning. Great to see everyone. Surprised we haven't got more running the half marathon. And it's raining like it was last year. I ran last year and it was horrible. I'm never going to do it ever again. And uh, literally as we started, the heavens opened and I think the guys are literally starting now. So let's wish them all luck as they run today, as they run 13 miles of pure horribleness. It really is horrible. It really is horrible. As... No, running's great, actually. Running is good. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at this series on the Beatitudes. And as Dave has already said, we've been introducing what the Beatitudes are all about. And over the next few months, as the new vicar Simon arrives in, I think, about two or three weeks, it's, it's coming up. His induction is on the 10th of October, so really soon from now. As Simon comes, we'll be continuing to look at the Beatitudes and unpack those. But we've been in the introductory period for the last few weeks. And, and Matthew 4 today, again, is that introducing um, what uh, is about to come in Matthew chapter 5 of blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Now, now these things are, are countercultural. This is the, the upside down kingdom, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And I think what it means to be a follower of Christ is actually very different from what it means to be a follower of this world, that it is countercultural to be a follower of Christ. Christ does not do things in the way that we expect him to do them. The same is true for Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read it in a moment to us. Verses 18 through to 22, the calling of the first disciples. You see, it's countercultural because Jesus goes and finds a bunch of fishermen. Most probably, these fishermen are illiterate Jesus doesn't go to the best of the best. He doesn't go to the people that we would expect him to go to. He goes to a bunch of fishermen on a beach. You see, I love that. I love that Jesus does this. It's completely countercultural. The world would not do that. The world would go to the best of the best. And as we look at this passage from Matthew chapter 4 this morning, I want to look at it in the lens of empowerment. That Jesus empowers us. When he calls us, he empowers us as disciples of Christ, as he did 2,000 years ago with these fishermen. He also empowers us today as disciples of Christ to go and to empower other people. So we are called by God to empower other people. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit this morning. What does empowerment look like? What does called to empower look like for us today? And I'm going to start, we sort of saw it a little bit a minute ago, but I'm going to start by showing us a video from a film, Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if you remember the film, but it's a great video. And I'm just going to show a little clip from this of what empowerment looks like. Do you understand how dangerous this is, do you? Don't stand there crying. Just nod your head and tell me you won't do it again. Now dry up and get back to work. Dr. Blair, Dr. Blair, Dr. Sherwood Blair. Hey, hey, you okay? 
told me to pick up the blood, so I did. But he never told me to lay one. It's okay. Stop crying. What's your name? Brenda. Brenda. Brenda, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, these doctors, you know, they don't know everything. It's my first week. I think they're going to fire me. No. No, nobody's going to fire you, Brenda. I bet you're good at your job. No, I'm not. Yeah, I bet. If I asked you to check on the status of my friend Lance Applebaum, that you could do that for me in a second. Mr. Applebaum fractured his ankle. Dr. Ashland is treating him in exam room seven. You see that? No problem. <laughs> Who's seen the film? It's a good film, isn't it? It's an absolutely brilliant film. I love this film. That's what empowerment looks like. We are called as disciples of Christ to go and to empower other people. And Jesus created this environment of empowerment. He created this environment that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of empowerment. Now, this word empowerment, by definition, means to, to give power or to give authority to someone else. To give power or to give authority to someone else. And we see this again and again in Scripture. In the Old Testament, we see it that, that Jesus calls um, ordinary people where they're at. We see this in the life of Joshua. We see this in the life of Abraham. Abraham was an ordinary man, and God called him where he was to go and to empower other people. We see this in the life of King David. We see this in the life of Solomon. We see this in the life of, of pretty much all the prophets, that God calls ordinary people where they are, and he empowers them to, to, to take out the message that God has called them to take out. We see this in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Apostle Paul, James. God calls ordinary people where they are and takes them and uses them for his glory. And I'm going to read to us Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through to 22. If you've got your Bible, turn to that. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through to 22. I'm not sure what number that is, so you'll have to know your Bible to know where Matthew is. It's the start of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into, into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Okay, so this is a story about Jesus calling his first disciples. When a rabbi would do this, when a rabbi would call disciples, it's saying a number of things. As a rabbi calls disciples, it's saying that I want you to come and to be with me as a rabbi. I want you to come and become like me as a rabbi. And I want you to go and to do what I, the rabbi, do. I want you to be with me. I want you to become like me. And I want you to go and do what I do. For us as Christians today, for us as disciples of Christ, we're called to do the same thing. 
We're called to be with Christ, to become like Christ, and also to go and to do what Christ did. That's the practical outworkings of our faith. That's Matthew 28, the Great Commission, to do what Christ did, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach, to speak to our friends about our faith. All of those things, that's what it is to be a follower of Christ, to be with Christ, to become like Christ, and to do what Christ did. And there's a couple of things I want to say about this. The first is that that Jesus doesn't go when he calls his disciples to the best of the best. He doesn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. Sorry if there's anyone here from Oxford or Cambridge. I'm sure there is quite a few. He doesn't go to the theological college. He doesn't go to the places we would expect him to go. He doesn't go to Wall Street. He doesn't go to the city of London. He doesn't go to the bankers, to the businessmen, to the people that have a lot of wealth. He goes to a bunch of fishermen on a beach, and he calls these guys. Most probably, these fishermen, these disciples, are between the ages of 14 and 20 years old. 14 and 20 years old. Likelihood is that they would be illiterate. Jesus goes to a beach and calls a bunch of fishermen. Now, when I was trying to put myself into the story, and I think when we read Scripture like this, it's always good to try and put ourselves into the story. I try to picture, well, where do I know fishermen? Where do I know a beach? And my grandfather has got a holiday place in Kent in a place called Littlestone. And up the road from Littlestone is a place called Dungeness. And some of you might have heard of Dungeness. little fact about Dungeness is it has the largest deposit of shingle in the whole of Europe, little fact for you there. Dungeness is a dump. I'm sorry if anyone lives in Dungeness. I'm sure they don't. But Dungeness isn't a very nice place. You go to Dungeness and I take friends there. I take family there because it's an interesting place to go. But there's a huge power station. The fish and chips are double the size because they've, they've been contaminated by the power station. It's, I'm, I'm serious. It's, it's a horrible place. But it's huge, and it's a huge beach, and there's fishermen, and the fishermen go out at five o'clock in the morning, and they come back, and they bring their fish. That's what I think of when I think of Jesus going down to the beach and calling these bunch of fishermen. I think of Dungeness. Put yourself into the story. This is not where the world would go. The world would not go down to a smelly beach and call a bunch of fishermen. And Jesus does. And that is countercultural. That is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. God does something that we do not expect him to do. The Beatitudes, this is what they're about. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor? Does the world teach us that that's the case? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek? Surely blessed are those who, who are full of, of pride, who, who do a lot of good stuff, who, who achieve lots. Blessed are the meek. It's the countercultural kingdom of God. And I absolutely love it. And I love this about Jesus. Because Jesus has faith in us. He has faith in these disciples before we have faith in God. Jesus believes in us. Jesus believes in these disciples before we even believe in ourselves. Jesus sees the potential. That's my first point, Steve, if you could pull up on the screen. Jesus sees our potential. He sees that there's something in us that no one else can see. 
that there's something in us that no one else has maybe even noticed. Jesus calls us where we're at in what we're doing currently, and we don't have to be the best of the best, but he calls us where we are, and he sees our true self. He sees our potential. That's what I love about Jesus. It's the complete opposite to what we expect. He calls these disciples. And then what happens is he says to these disciples, I will make you into fishers of men. And this term, fishers of men, this is one translation, fishers of men, actually means to become a great teacher. This rabbi, he's coming onto this beach, he's talking to a bunch of fishermen, and he's saying to most probably illiterate young fishermen, I will make you into great teachers. You see, this is good news. This is amazing news for these guys. They've got not much going for them. And Jesus says, I will make you like me, into a rabbi, into great teachers. Have you ever wondered why the disciples just leave everything all of a sudden? Their family business, their boat, their money, they just leave the lot. Because this is such good news, Jesus has called them to be great teachers like him. And as we know from the life of Peter, and we're going to look a little bit at the life of Peter this morning, Peter goes on in Acts chapter 2 and he preaches to 3,000 people. Those people come to faith. Acts chapter 3, Peter heals the sick. He casts out demons. He does what Jesus does. Peter doesn't just get there overnight. This is a process, but it started by Jesus calling him and seeing his potential. God sees our potential. Wherever you're at at the moment, God sees that there's something in you that he can work with. And honestly, it doesn't matter if you've made a mess. It doesn't matter what you've done. Where you're at, at this point now in your life, God sees the potential. and He sees something in you that he can use for his glory. And that is good news. I'm excited about that. I love this passage of Jesus calling the first disciples. We're going to go now to Matthew chapter 10, talking of empowerment. My second point is that empowerment can sometimes be messy. When we're called and we empower other people, it can sometimes be messy. Chapter 10, verse 2. I'm just going to read to us the names of the disciples that Jesus called. I think it's important that we, we know who are the people that Jesus called. From verse 2, first Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. Now if you were to look back over the last five chapters between chapter 4 of Matthew and chapter 9, you'd have seen that Jesus does a lot of ministry. And the disciples are with him in this ministry. They're they're learning from him. They're trying some of this ministry out themselves. Matthew 5, we have the Beatitudes. And then we have a few chapters before we get to chapter 10 of the names of these disciples. 
Now, what's interesting here is as we read those names, whose name do we read that probably we don't expect to read? Judas. Judas's name. Judas Iscariot. His name is in that list of the 12. What does that mean? Why is Judas there? Because, you know, Jesus knows that, that Judas is going to betray him. It even says it in the Bible that he was the one that betrayed Jesus. And interestingly, Jesus puts Judas in charge of the money. He puts Judas in charge of the money, even though he knows that Judas is stealing the money. So why does he do that? Why doesn't he put Matthew, the tax collector, in charge of the money? Matthew, who has experience with money. And yet he puts Judas in charge of the money. Why? You see, I think Jesus is okay with empowerment, a calling sometimes being a little bit messy. I think he's okay with actually sometimes it doesn't go the way that we think it's going to go. That he calls in the midst of those 12, 11 world changers and Judas. And that sometimes this can be a little bit messy. You see, the reason I say this is I think that, that in the church we love to have control. It's not just in the church, but, but we love to be incredibly organized or we love to have control over things that we don't allow some people to step into some things that maybe they should. Jesus is okay with Judas being a part of the twelve. And yet Judas gets it wrong. Are we sometimes okay to, to let go of our control and to allow things to happen that sometimes it, it goes a little bit wrong? But does it really matter? Just to illustrate this, a few weeks ago I was with my daughter, Sophia, and she's coming up to two years old. And we, we go to the park in the Abbey Gardens. Some of you might know the Abbey Gardens uh, playground. And it's a great playground, but she loves to climb on things that she probably shouldn't climb on. For those who have got young children, have had young children, know what it's like. It's quite a scary thing as a parent to, to let your child go and climb on things that they probably shouldn't climb on, and you have to watch them the whole way. But she wanted to climb on this slide that was a rather large slide. And she's only coming up to two. She's, she's not that big yet. And she really wanted to climb this slide. And I said, no, 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 Sophia, no, we're not going to do that. It's too big for you. You're, you know, you're only two years old. We're going to go, and we're going to go on the, the baby stuff, which is safe and which is nice. So I took her away onto the baby stuff, and she was playing fine on the baby stuff. And then I was challenged because I thought, hang on a sec. When is she going to learn to climb this slide and do this on her own? Because at what point am I going to to let go of my control and say, you know what, let's give this a go. And I'm going to be here with you. Let's give it a try. So I turned back and we took her to this slide. And I was quite nervous watching her climb this slide. And she's climbing up and she's doing it all fine. I'm standing there, not holding her hand, but just watching her closely. And she slides down and she's fine. She does it again. She's even better. She does it again and she's even better. And now she's doing it all on her own. I'm still there watching her, obviously. But the point is, I had to let go of that control in order to let her do that. And it actually turned out really well. What about our relationships? What about our relationships in our families? What about our relationships in church, in business, 
Do we have too much control? Or are we like Jesus that says that empowerment sometimes actually can be a bit messy, but it's, it's about letting people have a go? That's the culture that I want to be a part of, a culture of empowerment, that, that sometimes we get it wrong, but that's okay because we're a community, because we're a family, and we pick up and we move on. Sometimes it doesn't go the way that we want it to go. What does that mean for us as individuals, as families? I want to go now to Matthew chapter 14. Verse 22. Just to give you a little bit of context to Matthew 14. Jesus and the disciples have been doing a lot of ministry and they're exhausted. And they come to a place and and Jesus basically gets the disciples to feed the 5,000. He says, yeah, that's great, but you go and do it. And the disciples perform this miracle and 5,000 people are fed. It's incredible to read. But they're, they're exhausted, they're shattered. What Jesus does is he sends the disciples to go over to, the, over to the other side of the lake. And then we get to verse 22. I'm just going to read that to us now. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Just a little side note there. When Jesus is tired, what does he do? He goes and he prays. He doesn't go to Netflix. I usually go to Netflix. He goes and he prays with God. Maybe that's for someone here that you need to spend more time with God. And, and when you're tired, you go to Netflix. You, you know, it's good to sleep as well, obviously. What do we do when we're tired? Do we get rejuvenation? Do we get our energy from spending time with our Father in heaven, with God? Or do we get it from crashing out on the sofa? Maybe that's for someone here this morning. Later that night, verse 23, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This story, my whole Christian life, has been one of discouragement. Jesus says, Peter, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you do that? Discouragement. Talking in a kind of negative way. That's the way that I read that story when I read it. It's not encouraging. It's not empowering. And then, this last week, I came across a quote by a man called Dallas Willard. And Dallas says in this quote, I hope I can get this 
pronunciation right. Can we get that up? Thank you. Jesus probably invented the term oligopistoi, little faiths, which would have had a little comic tinge to the ears of his hearers. Oligopistoi, little faiths, seems to have been a nickname that he invented as a way of gently chiding his apprentices for their lack of confidence in God and himself. This tone, you of little faith, is not a negative way of saying it. It's actually, ah, little faiths. This is a loving, light thing that Jesus said to his disciples when, when they got it wrong sometimes. See, what was it that made Peter step out of this boat and go after Jesus? It's because he had a little bit of faith, because he saw what his Lord was doing. He saw what Jesus was doing, and he wanted to have a go. See, that's a thing that maybe some of us need to do this as well. My third point is empowerment is sometimes taking a step of faith. Peter takes a step of faith in this instance. He walks on water. Isn't that amazing? That's a miracle. Peter is a hero of the faith. He walks on water to Jesus, and then he starts to sink. But he's doing it up until this point. You know, that's progress, isn't it? Imagine one of us walking on water towards Jesus. How incredible would that be? And then we start to sink because we start to look around, and we start to see what else is going on in our lives. Peter is a hero of the faith. And Jesus is not saying, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you do this? It's actually, Peter, give it a go again. Try again. Step out in faith. Maybe for us, we have tried to do things where we've been knocked down. Maybe we've had a voice in our ear saying, you can't do that. You're not good enough. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, you're not good enough. Don't try that again. He says, Give it another go. It's amazing that you tried. Try again. Keeping your eyes fixed and focused on me. Isn't it interesting that when Peter looks around, that's when he sinks. When he starts to think, oh, actually, the world tells me that I can't do this, he starts to sink. Keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. Take a step of faith. Maybe that is a word for someone here today that Whatever you're going through at the moment, in family, in work, at home, whatever it might be, that maybe Jesus is saying, take a step of faith. And I will catch you. I will not let you go. And if you mess up, that's fine. Just keep on trusting in me, and I will never let you down. You see, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship that we, we can have with him that calls us through this process, empowers us where we are, that sees our potential, that sometimes is a bit messy, and sometimes it's about taking a step of faith. But Christ calls us just as we are in this moment. Maybe that's something that you need to hear today. Maybe your relationship with God has been one where you've had this angry voice telling you not to have a go, not to try, not to do it. And Jesus is saying, take a step of faith, give it another go. I'm here and I'm going to catch you. How do we do this practically? 
How do we get to that place where we're in a relationship with Jesus that we can call on him and he will answer? That we can take a step of faith knowing that he will catch us and not thinking, well, he's, he's miles away. He's not, he's not going to come close to me. There's a few things that I want us to, and if you've got a pen and paper, if you've got a phone, just note some of these things down. These, these are basics, but I think maybe sometimes we need reminding of these things. The first is hear and obey. Hear and obey. Now the question is, how do we hear God's voice? And this is the age-old question, how do we hear God's voice? How do we know that God is speaking to us? I think a way to start is by getting to know Scripture and reading your Bible. And I think the best way to start by hearing God's voice is to read the word that has already been given to us in Scripture. What has God said to us? already. How do we hear God's voice? Start by reading scripture. And maybe you do that currently. Maybe you do that even every day. But I would encourage you to to do it every day and to start with something small. Hear and obey. Maybe to hear God's voice, you like to journal and ask questions. I personally don't do this. Maybe it's something that I should, but I don't. But maybe that's for you. Journal. Write down, what, what do you feel God is saying? Maybe you had a dream last night, and I do believe God can speak to us in dreams. Write down what the dream is about. What could God be saying in line with Scripture? Hear and obey. Spend time with God. It's pretty simple, really, isn't it? How do we want to have a close relationship with Jesus? We spend time with him, like any other relationship. Spend time with Jesus every single day, if you can. And if that's too hard to do because we're busy, that's fine. Start by spending an hour a week or 10 minutes every other day, whatever it can be for you. Make this a priority. Put it in your diary. Time with Jesus, five minutes. Spend time with God. It's the most important thing that we can do on this world. Absolutely. Hear and obey. Number two, practice with the small things. And I've said this a little bit already. Start by doing something small. If you're struggling to read your Bible or spend time with God, just a little bit. Start with something. You see, what happens is, and this always happens at New Year, isn't it, that we all make New Year's resolutions, and I do this as well, and we we go crazy and we think, right, well, there's 10 things that I'm going to achieve this year, 2019, and day two, and we've given up, and it's... You know, and then a few months later, we try again. And we, we try to do too much. Start with something small. Start with something small and work from that. Put five minutes in your day. Maybe try fasting. Fasting is a great way to show God that we're serious about something. If you haven't fasted before, come and speak to one of us and we'll tell you what to do. It's quite simple, really. You just fast and, and don't eat stuff when you should. But, you know... Don't go crazy with that. Start with something small. Saying to God, I'm serious about this, God. I want to hear your voice. Number three, release others to do what you have learned to do. And this is the one I absolutely love. And this is about being a mentor or being accountable to someone else. 
And this is something, actually, that I've always been quite good at, is, is trying to get people in my life that I can learn from and, and watch and listen to. And even when I was young, I quite liked talking to older people and would get mentors. Um, a great mentor of mine died recently, which is really sad, so I need to get another mentor, someone who's older. But I would encourage you, if you're not already mentoring someone, and it doesn't matter what stage you're at, as long as you're a godly person. But if you're 30 years old like me, then mentor someone who's 20s, 21, 22, 23. Release others to go and do what you do. If you're 40 years old, pull someone up who's 30. If you're 50, 40. If you're 60, 40 and some 50s. If you're 70, you get the gist. I think it's so important that we, that we bring people alongside of us, that, that we're going to mentor, that we're going to help, that we're going to encourage, that we're going to release to do what Jesus has called us to do and to help those people do those things. That's what empowerment is. That's a culture of empowerment that we have called, been called to go and to empower other people. So if you haven't got someone that you're speaking to, encouraging, I'd encourage you, please, please do that. And if you need help with that, again, speak to me or Sue or Dave or someone on staff, and we can line you up with someone. It's such an important thing to do as the church, as the body of Christ. Just the way that the children are waiting to come back in, and I've talked for quite a long time. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and to play. But maybe there's something that I've said this morning that has hit home for you. Maybe it was just a a side note. Maybe you need to spend more time with God. Maybe you need to know that that God has empowered you where you are. Maybe you feel like you don't have potential. And Jesus is saying, actually, you do. And I want to bless you in that. I want to speak into your life. I want to see you flourish. Just going to ask Matt and the band to come up and to play and lead us in uh, in a song of response. But let's just spend a moment to pause and to think for ourselves, God, what is it that you want me to do? Maybe there's a task, something that you've given me to do that, that I've put on the, on the back burner that I haven't been very good at recently. Maybe it's simply that I need to just spend more time with you in prayer or reading my Bible. Let's just spend a minute thinking what has challenged us. I feel like there's a few people here this morning that, that have always heard that voice, that angry voice. But why did you try? Why did you bother? You have little faith in that angry, condescending kind of way. And maybe God is saying to you today that that's not the way he talks to his children. Maybe you've experienced that in, in family or whatever, but that, that God chooses us, that he calls us, that he comes alongside us, that he, that he loves us, and he wants to see us flourish. Heavenly Father, I just pray for anyone here this morning that, that feels that, that struggles to, to trust in you because of that voice of maybe trying something in the past and having got it wrong, won't try again. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to know that you are there, that you love us, that you want the best for us, that you want us to take a step in faith, to take a risk. And it's okay that sometimes that can be messy. Lord, help us to, to be empowered to do what you've called us to go and do and to go and to empower other people to do likewise. Holy Spirit, come and fill us now. Give us all that we need. Amen.